There's a saying, use the right tool for the job. I'm sure many of you, if not all of you, have heard this before. Most of you have probably even said it yourselves. Use the right tool for the job. It makes sense. When we use a tool for its created purpose, jobs are usually accomplished easier and with far less frustration. But when we use a tool for a purpose it was not created for, it often leads us to frustration and even pain. My hands are the home to a number of scars. These scars aren't worn with a badge of honor and there's no great war story behind them. No, they've actually come from being stupid or lazy, maybe a mix of the two, um, from working with my hands, doing projects over the years. Some have even come, believe it or not, from using a tool in a way it was not meant to be used. This one on my left thumb, it's small but pretty recent. It came when we were moving into our apartment. We get to the apartment, no problem. The moving process is going great. But we quickly realize our couch does not fit through the door. So logically, I think I'll take off the door. No problem. I've done it a hundred times before. All I need is a screwdriver, a hammer. I can pop the pins out. It's not a problem. Moving process continues. Well, there was a slight problem. My tools were buried in the moving truck, very far forward in the moving truck, and there was no way I could get to them. So I began, like most males, to go into MacGyver mode. And I'm searching this garage looking for a tool, anything I can use, a pair of pliers, anything to get the pins out of the door. Well, I don't find anything. I come across an ice scraper, though, and notice that it has a, a pretty narrow edge and think, oh, if this will work, I can get that underneath the pin. It'll pop out. Okay. Well, it did work, but when you use an ice scraper as the screwdriver, something has to serve as the hammer. Well, thinking my hands are kind of tough, I decide that'll work. And so I'm there trying to get the pin out of the door. And the door, the pin starts to move. And it's a great idea. It's working. And this idea was really good until the pin actually let loose. In that moment, when that pin let loose, I punched the door jam, the hinge, the part of the hinge that's attached to the door jam, and blood started dripping. Um, it was not a moment I look back on with fond memories. Uh, but it worked, and the door came off. As the hinge's reward for that victory, it kept a nice chunk of my skin, and I'm pretty sure if you looked in that garage close enough, you could probably still find blood. Um, however... While it's not a moment of fond memories, uh, I recognize it makes somewhat of a decent story. At least a better story than if I stood up here and told you about how easy it was to remove that door with the right tools. Or how I took that ice scraper and seemingly every day this winter go out and scrape the ice off of my windshield. Those are the proper uses of the tools, but it doesn't make for a good story. But if I would have used the right tools for this job, there would have been far less frustration, far less embarrassment, and far less throwing of ice scrapers. Um, now, whether we're talking about a literal tool, an object, a day, whatever it is, when we use them, when we use tools as they are intended, things generally go better. When we use tools properly, a task is often accomplished with far less frustration. Similarly in life, God has given us tools to enjoy him and to enjoy life, to get to know him better and to ultimately finish strong the race he's called us to. 
However, much like using an ice scraper to remove a door instead of the ice on my windshield, when we fail to use these tools properly, we impinge on the the joy and the experiences that we could be having. We miss out on some of the things that God intends for us to experience. In today's passage, we're going to see two different interactions where Jesus is essentially telling the Pharisees, you're missing the point. You're using this tool for the wrong purpose. If you'd open your Bibles to Luke 6, we're going to look at the first 11 verses of Luke 6. It will also be on the screen behind me. Now, over the course of our Amazed series, we've seen Jesus claim to be the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. We've seen him drive out demons. We've seen him heal sickness. We've seen some really impressive fishing skills. And we've seen him even forgive sins. These are some amazing claims and amazing actions. And Luke isn't done quite yet. In tonight's passage, we see Luke continuing in his recording of the amazing things of Jesus. So let's read Luke 6, 1 through 11 together. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all, and then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he did, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. As we walk through this passage together, I want us to see two main points. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is a tool given to us by God which we must use properly. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is a tool which we must use properly. We'll finish our time together with just a couple points of application, but let's jump headfirst into this passage. Jesus is interacting two different times with the Pharisees regarding and on the Sabbath. Um, so for us to fully understand this passage, we need to understand what Sabbath means. What is the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath means to rest from work. It's a break. God created and God gave us the Sabbath, and he did it both through example and through command. We see an example in Genesis 2. After God creates everything, he takes a rest. He takes the first Sabbath. We see it commanded in Exodus 20 as one of the Ten Commandments. God commands the Israelites to observe the Sabbath, to take a day to rest. We see in the repeating of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5 where um, we gain some practical understanding of why God has commanded the observance of Sabbath. In Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, it says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. 
Now the passage will continue with other restrictions and explanation, but it finishes with a reminder. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. It's not hard to see why Jews, and for our passage today, specifically the Pharisees, it stressed the importance of Sabbath. It's an important part of following God. It's part of their practice of relying on God. So it's with this understanding that we need to approach our text tonight. In verses 1 through 5 of Luke chapter 6, the religious leaders of the day are taking issue with Jesus and his disciples in a grain field, plucking grains and eating in them. The Pharisees are out following Jesus around, and we learn from our second interaction, which we'll get to in just a moment, that they're not following Jesus to learn from Jesus, but they're looking to accuse Jesus. And it's kind of ironic because the Pharisees in this passage are working harder than anyone else trying to accuse Jesus of working. Um, So the issue that the Pharisees raise here has nothing to do with the fact that they're in a, a grain field that's not theirs, eating grain that does not belong to them. This is actually allowed by law. And it's important that we look at this because in Deuteronomy 23.25, it says in the law, If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. In other words, it's fine to pluck with your hands, feed yourself, but don't pull out your harvester and steal their crops. It makes sense. But why this is important is because we see that there's wiggle room in the law. There's room so that orphans and widows and the hungry could eat. It was appropriate for the law to be broken in order to preserve life for needs to be met such as those who are hungry may eat what the what the pharisees take issue with here is the disciples working on the sabbath now the pharisees are very zealous for keeping god's law it's very important to them and so to make sure that they don't break god's law they set up a bunch more strict laws So that if you break one of those, you still haven't broken the main law. You haven't broken God's law. And they get so zealous in that and so focused on that. And in that light, that's where they take issue with Jesus and the disciples. They're saying, you're reaping as you pluck the heads of grain. You are threshing when you rub them in your hands to remove the chaff. And by discarding the chaff, you're winnowing. All of this is technically work. And it's a stretch, but they can even accuse Jesus and the disciples of preparing a meal. Now, it's not like Jesus and his disciples are out in this field acting like toddlers, trying to make the Pharisees angry. And they're not just trying to see how much they can get away with. They're actually hungry. And the fact that Luke takes the time to write that they're eating shows us they were, in fact, hungry. Um, So, to the Pharisees, though, it wasn't about hunger. It was about the law. Jesus and the disciples were working on the Sabbath. And that's what the, what the Pharisees were dwelling on. Now Luke's focus here does not turn to whether this is a correct understanding of the Old Testament, so neither are we. But Luke instead turns to Jesus' authority. And that's where our focus needs to be. And that's where our understanding of the Sabbath needs to be. In Jesus' authority. And we see that in the way Jesus responds to the Pharisees' accusations. And what's amazing in his response is that he doesn't step into their legalistic debate. Instead of answering their question, he asks his own question. His question does two things. It shuts the mouth of his accusers, and it points to his authority. 
Have you never read, Jesus asks. Now remember, these Pharisee guys are Old Testament gurus. Of course they read, and it's likely they even had memorized this passage in 1 Samuel that Jesus refers to, where King David is on the run from Saul because Saul's trying to kill him. David and his men are hungry. They need food. So they go into the temple and ask for food. The only food there, the only edible thing left is the bread of presence, the consecrated bread. And by law, only the priests may eat this bread. Um, but the, the scriptures, the very word of God that the Pharisees are using to try to accuse Jesus didn't accuse David and his men for taking this bread and eating it. By law, they should have been accused and had punishment and had to purify themselves because they broke the law. But the law doesn't condemn them for this. And Jesus, is in, Jesus in his response is, I'm the son of man, saying I'm greater than the esteemed David, so I too should not be condemned. Jesus poses this question, and he has this, this interaction, not to spark a dialogue, but to show them how blind they are to who he really is. And it's not like Jesus in this passage is hiding who he really is. Look at verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying, I'm above you, I'm above the law, and I am Lord of the Sabbath. This is an amazingly bold claim. Throughout the Gospels, the Son of Man is a consistent reference to Jesus. And it carries with it messianic overtones. And by that, I mean Jesus is essentially saying, I am your long-awaited Messiah. I am the one that your scriptures are professing about. And he furthers that and says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am Lord of the day, and in that I have the right to interpret the Sabbath laws. Now, it was God who created the Sabbath, God who gave the Sabbath, and God alone has the right to interpret how the Sabbath is observed. So Jesus, in his claim, he's claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath. He's claiming to have the authority of God, because he's claiming that he can interpret how the Sabbath is observed, and he's therefore claiming to be God. This is a very bold claim. And for Jesus to stand up and tell the most devout Jews that he is Lord of the Sabbath is insulting to say the least to them. And for him to claim to be God is either insane or incredibly accurate. It's not hard to see why those who were blind to who Jesus really is wanted to kill him. Now it is important to note here that Jesus isn't challenging the Pharisees and their massive amounts of regulations around the Sabbath. He's simply saying, you guys are missing the point. You have it wrong altogether. Sabbath, this tool, was not meant to be restrictive as you want it to be. You're not using it properly. And we're going to get to more of that in just a few minutes in the second interaction. But I want us to see something here. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of rest. He's also our creator. He is God. And God designed us to need rest, to need a break from work to rejuvenate, and to show that we trust in him for his provision. That's what Jesus, in not as many words, is telling the Pharisees. Your rules keep you from seeing what this tool is all about. Let's continue in our passage in verses 6 through 11. We see yet another attempt by the Pharisees to accuse Jesus. Jesus' response, his words, his actions show and back up He really is, in fact, Lord of the Sabbath. As was his custom, Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath teaching. In the crowd was a man with a crippled hand. 
The Pharisees, knowing Jesus' track record, watch intently to see if he will in fact break the law. Because the law prohibited healing on the Sabbath. The rabbis did permit, if life was in danger, you could heal somebody. But clearly in in this instance, life's not in danger. He's a grown man with a paralyzed hand. It could have waited until tomorrow. But Jesus doesn't wait. And this is where we begin to get an understanding of what Jesus is getting at about the Sabbath. Because Jesus still does what is good. His response, again, hushes their accusations. They don't have words to respond to Jesus. Because Jesus does what is good. He honors the Father, and he heals the man. And it's pretty incredible, because he doesn't even touch him. He does heal him, though. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't debate them. He doesn't step into their legalism, and he doesn't debate the law. Because he is above the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. And it is he, not them, that understands what the Sabbath is all about. See, the issue here isn't Jesus, for Jesus, it's not doing good versus doing nothing, which the Pharisees, according to their law, would argue you should do nothing. Instead, for Jesus, it's doing good versus doing evil. For failing to do what is good is, in effect, doing evil. And that's why Jesus responds the way he does. Jesus' response, his actions, leaves his would-be accusers angry but speechless. Healing on the Sabbath further supports Jesus' claim that he is Lord of that day. He is Lord of the Sabbath. He is above their laws, their behavioral expectations, and it is he, not them, who uses this gift, this tool, the Sabbath, properly. The first of our two points, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. This is the thrust of the passage. This is what Luke is getting at in his writing. It's Jesus' authority. And it's important for us to point out Jesus' amazing claim here. That he is Lord of the day. He is our Lord, our God. But it's also important to see that he backs that up. Because Jesus doesn't offer empty claims. It's also important that we start here with this point that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Because it's only when we see the boldness of Christ in this passage. It's only when we stop and we're amazed at Christ. At his power over days, over leaders, over the culture. That anything else we can take from this passage begins to matter. Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am over you, the law, the leaders. And you know what? You missed the point. You're getting this wrong. It's not about doing nothing. It's about doing good. It's about honoring God and finding yourself and your rest in God. Now, if you believe Jesus really did these things that we've been talking about, you either read passages like these and you're offended by Jesus, or you stand in awe of him. You're amazed when you realize, and you realize that he is who he says he is. He knows what he's talking about. He created me. He saved me. And I better pay attention to how he wants me to live. And it's in this realization of who Jesus is that we arrive at our second point. That we begin to be able to say that the Sabbath is a tool given by God which we must use properly. We begin to see what this means as we look at Jesus' understanding of and his actions on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is created for us, humans, for us to rest and to find ourselves in Jesus. Just like our salvation is not found in rules but in Jesus, so too our rest is found in Jesus, not in rules. The Sabbath is a tool which we must use properly. For us to have rest and to honor God, we must use the Sabbath properly. Doing what is good on the Sabbath in this passage isn't 
even a question for Jesus. Not healing this man is not an option. This is why Jesus doesn't even enter into a debate with the Pharisees. He heals because he's honoring God. When you look at Jesus' life, he teaches, he walks distances, he disciples, he casts out demons, and he heals on the Sabbath because it is good. And it points people to the Father. He isn't doing it to anger the religious leaders. He's showing us how to live. He's showing us how to observe the Sabbath. He's not acting vindictively. He's acting holy. Jesus is saying the Sabbath is a tool from God. He created it, and when we use it the way he intends it to be used, we find rest and refreshment and joy and rejuvenation. But when we use it in a way it was not intended, we find frustration and exhaustion. So what does this mean for us? Well, when we look at it through the lens of this passage, we have to ask ourselves, do we approach the Sabbath like Christ or like the Pharisees? Now, I imagine you don't wake up and stretch and look out the window, say, "Mm, nice day, I'm Lord of this day. And it's not as likely either that you wake up and you consult a rule book about how you're going to spend your day off. You flip through and see, I can sit in my recliner to a 130 degree angle, but if I go further, it's considered work. No, that's not what I'm getting at here. It's, do you approach the Sabbath as Jesus? As in, do you use it as a day to rest, to recover, a day to be encouraged by others to do what is good, to honor God? Or do you approach the day legalistically as the Pharisees did? Now again, I'm not referring to the Pharisees' written rules, but I am talking about rules. For most of us, it's the unwritten rules. It's the cultural rules. Because we live in a culture in which a concept of a Sabbath is almost non-existent. The idea of resting is almost laughable. And we often wear it as a badge of honor when somebody says, you're so busy, I don't know how you do everything you do. We want to be told we're too busy. We want to be told we're too busy. We live in a culture that tells us if it's not the best, then it's nothing. And so we've come to expect the best in academics, in job performance, in sports, in music, acting, cars, homes, experiences. The list can go on and on. And we better have the most things, play four different sports, be on three teams in each sport, speak three languages, play two instruments, live in this place, drive that car, get into this college, never get an A-, and it's only then that we can rest. Now hear me out. I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm not saying we shouldn't have high expectations. In fact, as Christians, we should, because as Christians, we're to do everything we do for God. That's a pretty high expectation. I'm not saying that any of these things are inherently wrong. What I am saying, though, is that we get so consumed with staying ahead of the next guy that we don't stop. We don't rest. We rely on our work ethic to the point that we don't even take a day to rest and trust God to meet our needs. We get so caught up in our cultural laws, we buy into what they say life is supposed to be, that we miss the point. Jesus didn't condemn the Pharisees or the law or them following it or their rigidity to it. He just said, you're missing the point. You're using it for the wrong thing. And similarly, I think Jesus would say, he would not say, don't get straight A's. He wouldn't say, don't drive this car. But he would say, if you're focused so much on these things that you can't stop and enjoy him and enjoy the day that he created for you, 
then you're missing the point. Jesus didn't condemn the Pharisees, and he doesn't condemn our cultural laws and our desire to do well. But he does say, when that's our focus, we miss the point. And for most of us, we don't miss the point on the Sabbath because of written rules like the Pharisees did, but we miss the point because we buy in to what our culture says life is like. We buy in to the idea that the Sabbath, our day of rest, or would-be rest, is actually just a day to get ahead. And we're often quick to criticize the Pharisees for being legalistic. We know that legalism very often leads to pride, so we say, don't be legalistic. Makes sense. We look at the, the insane amount of rules that the, the Pharisees said you had to follow to observe the Sabbath. And we say, you're nuts. There's no way you can have a day of rest when every moment that you're awake is calculated and governed by rules to be sure that no work is being done. Yet for us, are we really that different? Because we buy into the unwritten cultural rules of how life works. We get so caught up in not just keeping up with the Joneses, but outdoing them that we can't even take a day. A God-given day to stop and refocus and rejuvenate and recalibrate. We get so caught up in our ways that we miss the point. This is what Jesus is getting at with the Pharisees. He's not engaging in a debate about plucking heads of grain or healing a cripple's hand on the Sabbath. No, he's saying this day was created for you, for man, and yet you miss the point. We often miss the point. We fail to rest in the fact that our God designed us to need him and to need rest. We fail to rejuvenate because we carry the burden of all we have to get done. We forget this amazing verse in Matthew 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And instead, we try to do it ourselves. Yet this is where Sabbath starts. It's our coming to Jesus, our laying before him our cares, our burdens, and trusting in him that not only will we find rest, but things will still get done. We see in Jesus' action, his practice, of getting alone with God. Prayer and time in the word for us is a daily decision that is imperative to us finding rest in him. We see Jesus in the synagogue every Sabbath. It's in, we see in that his, his stress. We see the importance of corporate worship, of corporate fellowship. And this was a priority for the Lord of the Sabbath. It was a priority for Jesus. And it should be a priority for us. In order to actually allow the Sabbath to happen in our lives, we've got to learn to say no. I've often struggled with this myself. I'm too quick to pack my schedule full, say yes to too many things, and before long, I'm frustrated, I'm stressed, and I'm even burned out. And it takes practice, and it's hard, and I still mess up. But as we learn, and we must learn to say no to other things, as we do, we're able to say yes to good things. We're able to say yes to resting. We're able to say yes to God. Jesus wasn't above the religious law then, and he's not, or Jesus was above the religious law then, and he's above the cultural law now. 
He is Lord of the Sabbath when he walked the earth, and he is Lord of the Sabbath today. He is the creator of all things. He's our God, our Savior, our creator. And God, in his infinite wisdom, created us to need rest. We have a need to depend on, to draw on, and to rely on God. And in that wisdom, God created a day for man to rest, the Sabbath. And yet this tool, this gift, it only works when we use it as it was intended to be used. The fact is, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The question is, is he Lord of your Sabbath? 